Well, if you will, this morning, turn with me to 1 Corinthians again. We're going to look at, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 this morning. <clears throat> We've started this last week, looking at the book, uh, at, at the letter here to the church at Corinth, and I think that these things are, are, are good for us to, to read over and to study on and to reflect on each day. Uh, so chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, we'll start in verse 1. It says, And I therefore, uh, I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with ex excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God and the mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye hath not seen, nor ear hath heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things of God, which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, even the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of the man save the spirit of man which is in him. Even so the things of God knoweth not man, no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, and which things are also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Spirit teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things. Yet he himself is judged no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we that have the mind of Christ? So Paul is, is continuing here, talking to the brothers and sisters at Corinth. He begins there in uh, the first part of chapter 2. Of course, we know it's not written. The, these letters are not written in chapter and verse. This come later. But where we pick up particularly in this letter is that he's demonstrating them that he didn't come to them with, with an education, with to, to, to use his education to speak to them. But what? It was the Spirit of God that gave him this, this way to reach them. He says there, I came to you not with the excellency of speech uh, or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Christ, uh, Jesus Christ and him crucified. So he's saying, I didn't come to you to, to educate you. This, I come because of the spirit of the Lord. And I wanted to do nothing but know Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? Because that's who we have life in. So, 
He wasn't trying to show them that he was a well-learned Jew of high status, but yet that he was a servant of God who wanted to do the things which the Lord had commissioned him to do. That's the thing that, that we should do in our service to the Lord is not to know anything else except Christ and him crucified. Why? So we can reach other men and show them the goodness of the Lord. That's the demonstration of the Spirit there. It says he told them this because he understood and was with them in their weakness and exceeding fear. He understood. Because his flesh is weakness and fear. But what did he want to do? He wanted to proclaim what the Lord wanted him to do. He said, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So, again, not of earthly wisdom, but of what? The Spirit and power. That believing continually... And the power of God, we might be established. So he goes there, continuing in verse 6. Howbeit we speak with wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. These people are going to pass away, these powers that we know today, even, even this day. And particularly then, the powers that they dealt with there. How many of these world powers and the, and the empires and the things that they dealt with have stood in the, test, in the test of time? None of them have. We see changes in government. We see these, these things happen. That men try to devise systems and powers that stay in place. But guess what? They don't, they don't stand. Why? Men's hearts are pretty fickle. They want something new and greater and, and greater each time. So what do they do? They, they test the limits. But that's not what we're to do. What are we but vessels of the Lord? Jesus didn't come to lead with the powers of this world, did he? That's what they wanted. Even the disciples asking, Will thou not this time restore the kingdom of God unto, unto man? It's like, that's what, not what I'm here for. They didn't, they, they didn't understand this at this particular time. People wanted the power for themselves. They didn't want to be servants. But that's what the scripture here is talking about, is we are to be servants. He says, but we speak of the wisdom of God in a mystery, even a hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto, unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For he had, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What do you mean they, would have, they wouldn't have crucified him? They would have had the understanding, but they were blinded by what? The wisdom and knowledge of men. Because... They were so wrapped up in the physicality of this earth that they couldn't get past seeing that the Lord, what the Lord was here for. Like 
He says, but as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear hath heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. The kingdom's not here yet. We get a little bit, little picture of it when we come together and service the Lord. But he says there, no eye has seen nor ear hath heard. It's hard for us to comprehend the wisdom of God, isn't it? It's not something that we can easily attain. But through what? We obviously can't attain it through the pride of the flesh, can we? We can't. The scripture testifies to how we receive the wisdom of God. Through humility, faithful obedience. Like we talked about last week in chapter one, it's not about this leader or that leader that established it. We all look to the Lord, don't we? We should. So, this wisdom that comes from God, who does it come from? It comes from the Spirit that's given to the church. He says, but God hath revealed this, them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. We can't provide those things for ourselves, but the Spirit can. The Lord provides those things. Like Brother Ed mentioned this morning. He didn't mention that about provision. We try to get in our own way. We try to do those things ourselves. But if we would just sit back and look to the Lord, He'll establish those things. You look at Abraham, he provided a sacrifice when he's getting ready to sacrifice his own son. He provided manna from heaven, but Israel wasn't, wasn't, wasn't comfortable with that. They wanted more. We need to learn to be appreciative of the things that God provides us because it's just enough that we need. That's not a thing of this world, that's for sure. And says, <clears throat> now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things we also speak, uh, also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Spirit teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So, not with man's wisdom teaching, but with the Lord's wisdom. What's different? Brother Ed and, and Brother Wayne for many years, Brother Gary, Brother Tony, anybody here? Sister Jean, Brother Dennis, Sister Karen. All the things that we said and we read over and we study in the scripture those aren't provided by us. Those are provided from the Lord because we're seeking the Lord's counsel when we study the word of God.
We're appraising no spiritual things with spiritual things. That's hard to quantify in my own mind. I, I, I have a hard time reconciling that, you know. Uh, but as we pray about those things, the Lord gives us understanding. He says, but the natural man receiveth not the things of, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> spirit, things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, that yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I know we've read it in the past month, but talk about being renewed spiritually in mind. Washing, regeneration, spirit. Being changed from our thinking in the flesh to spiritual thinking. That can only come in Christ. It's only available after baptism. It's only available after we continue to submit to the Lord's will. That's how those things are taught to us. Submission. Only when we submit can he provide. So this wisdom... It comes from God and not of men. This is, this is applicable in the current time. Not just here to the church at Corinth. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 64. Sixty-four and verse four. Thus for since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen. O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness, those that remember thee in thy ways. Behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned, and those and and for those is continuant count oh, excuse me, I cannot speak. And those is continuance, and we shall be saved. I pray the Lord will take away my being tongue-tied. <laughs> so what do you say there? Since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, they haven't comprehended, nor have perceived by the ear, they haven't heard it. And they haven't seen it with their own eyes. Oh God, he says, beside thee. So God alone. What he hath prepared for him that waited for him. We've talked about this many times. We can't comprehend the kingdom to come. He gives us just a brief picture of this as the church gathered together. What is it that was Paul was trying to accomplish from quoting this particular passage here? He was trying to get them to understand that this is, this is just a sneak peek. We don't need to be caught up in these things, these divisions, the problems that they have. We, we need to be focused on serving the Lord. Yes, I know the things in this world are dark and getting darker. 
But if we focus on this, the rest of that is inconsequential. We're not to be ignorant of it. But through the Spirit, we might have continual hope. Because the Lord knows what the outcome of all these things is. He's prepared something for us. That if we would just continue on there, we have that hope. But we're not to get caught up in the wisdom of men and the teachings of men and the things that they do, but be concerned with serving the Lord. That was something that a lot of those Jewish brethren didn't comprehend either, and that's why they killed the Lord. They were too concerned with the time at, at hand and the power they had and the things that they, the authority that they held, which passed away. Let's look at James chapter 3. James chapter 3 and verse 13 says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envyings and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is pure first, then peaceable, gentle, and easy, to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of the righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Those things don't come from earthly wisdom, do they? Not a peace that, that the Lord could provide. It says, let him show out of uh, that second part of verse 13. Let him show out of the good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. That's low estate, that meekness there. Humility. The wisdom of man is puffed up most of the time. That's not the way we are taught to be as Christians, as servants of the Lord. He says, but, he goes on there, but if ye have bitter envying and strife in your heart, glory not and not lie not against the truth. We see that played out in the scripture too. When those things arose, what happened? The Lord executed judgment. Bitter envying and strife in your hearts. Cain and Abel, as one of the first instances I think about. Envying and strife. Cain was so upset that his brother had a more acceptable offering to God than rather than fix his offering and take it from a pure and, and clean heart before God, 
that he killed his own brother because his brother had an acceptable sacrifice. Why? His heart was right with God. And God even offered him the opportunity before it happened. He said, if thou do well, will your countenance be lifted? But yet, he didn't change his heart and the outcome of that was what? He was punished, afflicted and marked for his transgression against the Lord and against his brother. What else do you see? Envying and strife. Think of any other instance in the scripture where that happened. Happened in the time of David. Absalom coveted the throne and guess what? He almost got it because David committed some things he shouldn't. But ultimately that was Absalom's undoing. Because he didn't look to the Lord, he used the wisdom of men and he paid for it. Each time that Israel as a nation fell away from the service of the Lord was why? It was because of their own hearts. They desired to be like other men and chase after other gods and the things of this world, the power, the status, the control, the authority. And each time that they did that, what happened? The Lord proved them wrong and he showed them who the Lord God was and where his authority lie. That's the difference in earthly and heavenly wisdom. It says there in 18, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Peace doesn't come with a dagger. It comes with what? Service and submission. Again, obedience and faith. Those things are what come with righteousness and the peace that follows with it. Let's look at Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. We'll start in verse 11. Verse 11 of chapter 1, it says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was it taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's he talking about there? Paul was struck down on the road to Damascus at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, For ye have heard of my conversation in the past in the Jews' religion, and how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many, uh, many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But I pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son and me that I might preach him among the, among the heathen immediately 
I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up into Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned unto Damascus. And then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But the other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I wrote unto you, behold, before God I lie not. And afterward I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by the face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith, which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. Why? What was Paul's? What was Paul proclaiming to the church there at Galatia? That the Lord was what what changed him. We have to let the Lord change us. We can't change the Lord. That's for sure. It says, For ye have heard of my conversation in the past in the Jews' religion and how beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. He was, he was a devout man. Devout even to the point that he was willing to kill people to protect his faith. Is that what... True belief in the Lord is? No. It's not that we destroy others because we want them to submit to our will, which other religions do promote. That's where you tell the difference in where the rubber meets the road between true religion and false religion. Serving the Lord and the body of Christ promotes life, not death. He said there, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his, his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. He didn't go to the wisdom of men. He did what? He followed what the Lord told him to do. Huh. Do you think that they would have heard him at that particular point in time? The Lord's able to do a lot of things. But they were scared of they were scared of Paul. Because why? He had drug all of them out and he was ready to kill all of them. Even when he was going to Damascus, that's exactly what he went with the intention to do was to drag out those people that were serving the Lord in the churches there at Damascus. We studied this probably what a little while ago when we looked at Paul. Was he went to Ananias, who was a teacher there. Ananias who knew who he was, but yet the Lord had told Ananias, Don't don't fear him, basically. You've you've got to do what I've told you to do. And Paul was converted. He was baptized and he began preaching and teaching the Lord's work. To reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately conferred not flesh and blood. Neither went out up to Jerusalem. So he didn't go to the other apostles. But he went to Arabia. And then he came back. 
So, the Spirit was the only reliable way he, he, that we can be changed and we can be taught and we can be molded in the likeness of Christ. Why? It is our comforter. It is our strength. It is our teacher. That's, that is the lifeblood of the body of Christ. It does mean breath, doesn't it? Numa. But it's not by men, but by God. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. Now, I might actually go all the way to noon. Somebody might ought to record that. Romans chapter 8 and verse 6. It says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is an enmity against God, for it is not subject to the laws of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in flesh cannot please God, but but, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh, for if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of your body, ye shall live. For as many are as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness of our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. And if heirs of God, then joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that suffering of this present time are worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Amen. This chapter demonstrates the difference in the flesh and the spirit. Very eloquently in my, in, in, in my own humble opinion. It says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not unto the flesh to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. There are moments of weakness when we sometimes fail spiritually. 
But what's the importance of that moment that we realize that we've done that? It's repentance. The Lord is gracious to us. Far more gracious than we deserve. So in those moments of weakness that we can be taught to change ourselves into the likeness of Christ. It says the spirit itself bear witness of with our spirit that we are children of God. How is that? Through our what we do. If we're truly taught of the spirit, that shows in our actions. It shows in our mindset and the things that we do. We're ambassadors for Christ. Then we should be led by the Spirit. Not by the flesh. And he's saying here, if we're led by the Spirit, what does he say? The Spirit itself beareth witness of with our spirit that we are children of God. If children, then heirs. If heirs of God, then join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. To, for I reckon the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which is to be revealed in us. What is it required of us? We lay down our own lives to serve the Lord. Not just at one particular moment. We start there. But the purpose and intent of that is for us to lay down our lives and to serve the Lord continually. As Christ did. Being taught like Brother Paul was and the apostles and these brethren that we read accounts of, being willing to be molded and mended. That we what? He says, For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him whom subjected has subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also should be delivered from bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. I don't think that needs much explanation. That's pretty pretty good explanation there. We're the creature <laughs> being changed into the likeness of Christ. Hmm. Go back to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, Brethren, if any man hath be taken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Consider thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think of himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then he shall rejoice in himself alone, and not at another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught of the word communicate unto him that teacheth all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that he shall also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall reap of the flesh, reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not be weary in doing, doing excuse me, in well doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. 
As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially unto them which are of the household of faith. So see ye that large letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many as I desire to make a fair show in flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of Lord Jesus Christ, by him who the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth nor uncir- uh, availeth anything nor uncircumcision by a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on, on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. For henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Bread in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Your spirit, amen. So the same thing here. Bearing one another's burdens. Spiritually, that's what Christ was was to do, was to bear our burdens and to be crucified. The instruction here is for us to do the same for our brethren, to lay ourselves down for them. We have our own burdens, but it says there, but let every man prove his own work and then he shall rejoice in himself alone and not in another. And for every man shall bear his own burden Yes, we are responsible for ourselves, but we are also responsible for one another, spiritually speaking. What we talked about last week, what I do affects you and what you do affects me, and that's that's the importance there. But Paul was trying to encourage them to continue to do the right thing, spiritually speaking, not submitting to the flesh and to circumcision there. Because why? That was the glory in the flesh. There was no need of that. But what was it? What were we supposed to do? Spiritually submit. That's the important thing there. Let's turn back over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where we'll close. First Corinthians two. <clears throat> he says, Howbeit we speak in verse six, the wisdom among them that are perfect. Yet not the wisdom of this world nor the princes or uh, princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in which the mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world under our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. So the wisdom is not available to the world, but available to us in Christ. That's the mystery. It's hidden, but it's out there for everybody to see it should they choose to submit to God. because the Spirit teaches it. What's important to us? Is it, spiritually speaking, that we are concerned with serving the Lord? 
Or are we more concerned with the wisdom of man and learning what passes away? Paul's intention here was to spur the church at Corinth's thinking that they would not be caught up in the affairs and the things which promote knowledge of the flesh. But they would be built up in the knowledge and the wisdom of God. Because that's what is, what's important. May we not lose sight of that. And may we continually seek to study and encourage one another spiritually. That's all I have for you this morning. Brother Tony and Brother Ed, if y'all would come forward and lead us in a song.